Romans 10, verses 14 through 21, our passage for tonight. So we are going to go all the way to the end of the chapter. So please turn there with me if you would. Romans 10, verses 14 through 21. Allow me to read it. For us as we get started. How then will they call on him? I'm sorry. Let me back up in 13. We will be in 14 through 21. But let me just. I want to read 13 first. 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him? In whom they have not believed. And how are they to believe in him? Of whom they have not heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who... Who did not ask for me. But of Israel he says. All day long I have held out my hands. To a disobedient and contrary people. We pray for us. Uh, and ask for God's grace in this time. Lord we ask indeed that you would. Bless this next hour as we approach your word. And most of all we. Ask that you'd be glorified. That you'd be exalted. Lord, I pray that your gospel would be made known. Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict our hearts. God, that we would be enriched. And we would be overwhelmed by your gospel. In such a way, God, that gives us love for you and love for others. Lord, I pray that we would not reject your truth. But instead, Lord, that we would worship you. We ask you to be with us in this time. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, I remember having a teacher once, and uh, th- there are a handful of teachers that have done this. Maybe you've had a teacher uh, who's done this, where uh, he would have, like, cash, like, made-up cash for his own classroom. Uh, it'd be like, I don't remember, like, his name is like, Mr. Callahan or something. It'd be like, Callahan Cash. And like he'd give you cash, you know, his own, he made up a dollar bill of his own, his face is on it or whatever. And he gives you Callahan cash at the beginning of the year and you can spend it however you want. Uh, you can spend it on various things, uh, you know, maybe to get uh, through a homework assignment. Like, oh, you forgot your homework. Oh, use a Callahan buck, Callahan cash, you know, for that homework assignment, whatever it is. Uh, but, but most importantly, he said, look, if you, he gave everyone like a, I don't know. Five or ten, whatever it was, a certain amount of Callahan cash at the first day of school. And he's like, if at the end of the quarter you have all this cash, you can turn it in and I'll raise your overall grade like, I don't know, 5% or 10% with something crazy. And I was like, okay. Like, I'm, I took that cash and I was like, I'm holding on to these puppies. Like, I'm putting them in a sealed folder and put the folder in my binder, like three hole punch ready. Like I knew it was here. It was secure. Like this, I'm holding on to my Callahan catch. Now, believe it or not, I saw many of my other classmates not do that. Some of them would literally just throw it in the bottom of their bags, like get all crumbled up and get lost. I'm like, what are you doing? Some of them would even just leave them behind on the desk. Like, you know, we pack up to go to the next class and they just they're leaving their Callahan cash on their desks and they leave. And some, I kid you not, are just like, I don't want this. And they just throw it away in the trash. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, how could you, this is Callahan cash. Why don't you want this? 
And there was just a wide variety of different reactions of the way that people hand, handled this free gift from the teacher. Literally, it was just free. And they just, oh, I don't want it. And in a much more serious and grander scale, people will do the same thing with the gospel. Some will treasure it, and they'll hold on to it, and they'll love it, and they'll accept it. And some, they will not have any care for it. They will have no care for the gospel. Some will throw it away. Some will reject it. The overarching question that I want to ask tonight is, how do you handle the gospel? What do you do with the gospel? Now, Paul just got done saying such a beautiful and hopeful words in verse 13 when he said, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And coming right after those words and really continuing his thoughts here, he talks about how we ought to handle the gospel. What are we to do with that? How some maybe will handle it with great responsibility as he talks about proclaiming, preaching the gospel. And how some have and will handle it very poorly. Handle the gospel very poorly. So in this passage, Paul talks about the importance of preaching the gospel to others and handling it with that care. Preaching the gospel to others. As well as making it clear that while the gospel will be preached, it also will be rejected by many. So tonight we will evaluate. How do you handle the gospel? How do you handle the gospel? So our first section is the proclamation of the gospel. Verses 14 through 17. The proclamation of the gospel. Two subpoints for this. The first is this, that the gospel must be proclaimed. Verses 14 and 15. That the gospel must be proclaimed. Paul provides another chain for us. He links each phrase together to deliver his reasoning and his argument. Remember uh, earlier in chapter 8, he, he had that golden chain of salvation, if you might remember that. Well, here we have another chain as he says one thing after the next and connecting it. And Paul presents five aspects of the gospel being proclaimed with Christ being at the very center and purpose of it all. All right, so we're going to look at five aspects here of the gospel being proclaimed. Just based on what he says here in verse 14, 15, he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. All right. So five aspects of the gospel being proclaimed. First is the call to Christ. All these are going to be regarding Christ. The first is the call to Christ. This is really the link from last week, right? The link from verse 13, where he said that you must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Now, here are some very important things I'm going to say. Some very important things for everyone in this room to do. It's important for everyone in this room to sit under the preaching of God's word. It's important for everyone in this room to grow in your understanding of who God is. It's important for everyone in this room to give generously to others. It's important to love others. It's important to sing praises to God. It's important to pray daily. It's important to read His Word daily. It's important to be a student of God. While all these things are important, none of these things save you. You understand? They're all important things. But none of these things save you. You could sit under good preaching of God's word. You could grow in your understanding of who he is. You could give generously. You could love others. You could sing praises to God. You can pray daily. You can read his word daily. You can be a student of God. You can be all these things and still be far from him. But what does verse 13 say? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as we looked at last week, to call upon the name of the Lord is to say, Lord Jesus, I confess I am a sinner. 
And I confess I cannot save myself. And I confess that you are my only hope. And that you are the only one who can save me. And so I call on you, Lord Jesus. Save me from my sin. See, just, just intellectual belief and, and outward actions do not save. Only Jesus can save. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Have you committed to Him, not only as your Savior, but as your Lord? Have you turned from your sins and turned to Jesus in submission and surrender to Him? Have you called upon His name to save you? That's the first part of this link. The second is this, the belief in Christ. The belief in Christ. And this is really links to calling upon Jesus because you cannot genuinely call upon him if you do not genuinely believe in him. How can you call on him if you don't believe in him? How can you call on him to save you if you don't understand that you need saving? But you must believe in Christ. As we looked at last week again, that to believe in Christ is to bet everything, to bet everything in the person and the work of him. To not add to the work of Christ with your works. To not have a backup plan of Christ and something else just in case Jesus doesn't work out. But it is a full belief in him that he is who he says that he is. And he has accomplished what he says he has accomplished. It is a belief that is fully trusting in him for your salvation. And that belief is proven by the works that follow. Not the works that precede. But the works that follow. And something we must always remember is that this belief, this faith, is granted to us by the grace of God. It's not that we're so great, that we're so smart to have decided, hey, you know, Jesus is the most reasonable answer here, so I'm going to choose to believe in him. I think that's probably my best bet here. Yes, we do choose to believe in him. Yes, it is our faith. It is our personal decision to believe in him. But we would have never believed in God if he had not chosen us first and granted us the faith to believe. There is no room for boasting. It is all by the grace of God. So we believe in him. Thirdly, it is the hearing of Christ. The hearing of Christ. Christ is the subject of our belief. Christ is the subject of the gospel. It is in him in whom we hear. Don't miss this. And it seems so simple, maybe even obvious, but to miss it would be detrimental. If you hear of a gospel that is contrary to Christ, stay away from it. Paul warns, even the church of Galatia, in Galatians 1, 6-7, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, that's Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of who? Of Christ. There are those who distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stay away. If it is not a gospel of Jesus Christ, it is not a true gospel. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. He is the gospel message that we ought to believe. And he is the gospel message that we ought to preach. Which is the fourth point in this chain. Is the preaching of Christ. Fourthly it's the preaching of Christ. If the unbeliever must hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then there must be those who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every believer in some capacity must be able to proclaim the word of God. If you are a Christian, you ought to be able to proclaim the word of God. I'm not saying that everyone needs to stand up here and preach a sermon. I'm not saying that every Christian needs to have the gift of teaching. But the word here in 14, at the end of 14, where he says, And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The word preaching, it means to be a herald. It means to proclaim. To proclaim. Every believer can proclaim the truths of Jesus Christ. Every believer has a testimony. Do they not? And every testimony points to the truths of God. 
It ultimately points to Jesus Christ. That's what your testimony is about. It's not about you. It's about him. You don't need to be a seminary grad to, to, to proclaim the word of God. Be like the blind man who, when he was being interrogated, like, what is going on? What happened? Tell us. Like, what's happened? And he said, look, I don't, I don't exactly know what happened. I don't know how to explain it. All I know is I was blind and now I see. That's it. And if you were a Christian, that's your story. You were blind, but now you see. Proclaim that. Share that with others. Don't hide such an incredible miracle, an incredible truth. Don't just hide that away. Share that with others. Proclaim Him. And that's the thing. If we are to preach, if we are to proclaim, we preach Christ. We proclaim Christ. Our message of the word of God to others must be centered around Jesus Christ. He is the center. He is the core. He is the very purpose for what we preach. It is him, the preaching of Christ. And fifth is the sending for Christ. The sending for Christ. In order for God's gospel to go forth, people must be sent. People must be sent. Are you part of that work? Are you part of the work of sending out for those to preach Christ? Are you being sent? Are you sending? I think there are ways in which you can participate in both. You can be sent. Not all Christians are called to be preachers or teachers or missionaries, but all Christians are called to make disciples of him. Are you taking, Christian, are you taking the word of God that you have been entrusted with and going to others with the truth of his gospel? Are you doing that? Now, you've probably heard this many times before, that the mission field is not just overseas, right? You've heard that. We have missionaries come here all the time. Right? They usually come in the month of January, our mission month, I think it is, right? And every time they're like, missions is not just overseas. You are in the mission field. I'm like, oh, oh, you're right, we are. Right, we love it. Yeah, okay, we are. That's true. Right? We it is not just overseas, but it's here in our own neighborhoods is the mission field. You know that. But are you doing anything with that? Or are you saying, yeah, that's great. I'm living in the mission field. That's good for everyone else around me. No, are you? Are you active in the mission field that you're in right now? Are you being a good steward of the places and the locations that God has placed you personally with and are you being an ambassador and a mouthpiece for God where you are or do you ignore your call to proclaim his word to others and to make disciples of him you can be sent you are sent not only that but you can also send you can send be part of mission work that is outside of your own neighborhood. Yes, send. Pray for overseas missions. Right now, Grace Bible Church, if you're part of our church, we have a fall prayer partnership that's going on right now. You know what the focus is on this year? Who knows? Missions, right? It's on missions. Right? We get an email every week that, that focuses on, on a missionary mission that we can be praying for. You know you can be part of that. You can. You can email the office or tell me and I'll, I'll get you in. I'll email the office for you. And you can get an email every week and say, this, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for them. You can use your finances for overseas missions. Many of you guys give to the offerings of TYG. And I love that. It's improved a lot recently. Before, at the beginning of this year, we were down every month by a lot. And I would say the last three or four months, we've been good. We've even been over, and that's great. There's a way, a practical way, an easy way that you can be part of overseas mission. This money is going directly to these people, especially think of Dubon. I mean, he is, he is in the thick of it. This is where he gets his money. This is how he survives, how he buys bread so that he can continue to preach. And put his life on the line for the sake of the gospel. He and his family. Be part of that. Be part of that. Continue to support him with your finances and with your prayers. 
See, the proclamation of the gospel is a beautiful thing. Are you part of it? Paul quotes Isaiah 52, 7 in verse 15. He says, as it is written, now quoting Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. He says it's beautiful. Beautiful, he says. Beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Not saying that all those who preach the word have nice feet. That's why I wear shoes, so you don't see my feet. Because they're not beautiful. That's not what it's saying. But the word of God is beautiful. The message of the gospel is beautiful. The work is beautiful. And those who partake in the work are beautiful. In some ways, I think think we need to redefine beauty in our own minds. And prioritize our pursuits. Beauty in a physical sense, in an appearance, beauty is highly pursued by many. People spend hours obsessing on how they look. They spend fortunes to look beautiful. Outward physical beauty is prized and treasured and even idolized by many. Especially in our society. I think we need to understand what is truly beautiful. Beauty is not just what we see in appearance. I think beauty is, is found in what we do. And a truly beautiful thing to do is to bring the good news of the gospel to someone else. That is beautiful. Might you need to prioritize or, or reorganize what is truly beautiful in your life? Christian, I challenge you to not let your life be only about your own physical beauty, but let your life be about what is truly beautiful, the work of the Lord and the advancement of his gospel. That is beautiful. And have a love and a passion for that. Find true beauty in living for the Lord and declaring his message of salvation to others. Be part of the proclamation of the gospel. We see that the gospel, I did not put it up outside. The gospel must be proclaimed. That's what that whole section was just on. Secondly, we see that the gospel will be rejected. See, the gospel must be proclaimed. Secondly, we see that the gospel will be rejected. This is the sad reality of being part of the work of the gospel. Is that people will reject the gospel. Look at verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? While the gospel needs to be proclaimed, we must understand it will not always be accepted. In fact, many times it will be rejected. And you may be rejected. The message may be rejected. And worst of all, Christ may be rejected. You know, someone recently asked, actually as a student at my school, um, in class asked me, what's what's the hardest part of youth ministry? And asked, like, like specifically, like like things that make youth ministry specific and different than, say, uh, other ministries. In my opinion, and for me personally, she asked me, What do you find the hardest part of youth ministry for you? And there are a lot of great things I love about youth ministry, obviously. And and there are a lot of difficult things. But hands down, without hesitation, I knew right away that the hardest part for me about youth ministry is seeing so many people reject Jesus Christ. Staff, maybe you've experienced that too. You know. You know what I'm saying. It's the hardest part. 
And I think it's somewhat unique to youth ministry, not exclusively, but you think like a normal setting of ministry or, or like, like, a, like Sunday morning ministry or something like that. Most of the people that are here on Sundays, they're here because they love Jesus. Not, not, not 100%, obviously. Like, yes, there's going to be still some who reject Jesus here on Sunday morning. And there's going to be a whole other level of difficulties with Sunday ministry and things like that. But for the most part, people are there on Sunday mornings because they've already accepted Jesus and they love him. But with youth ministry, so often, students attend me for one to, to, to seven years and you share Christ with them over and over and over again. And they may even confess to know Jesus. But, but, but then when, when they're on their own and they go and they leave, they reject him. And they want nothing to do with the gospel. And to see the rejection of Jesus over and over again, year after year, it's heartbreaking. And it's heartbreaking because he does not deserve to be rejected. Jesus does not deserve to be rejected, but he is. But he deserves all glory and praise. And I don't want to see Jesus rejected. But I see it over and over again. And it's heartbreaking because I love you. And I don't want to see you reject eternal joy and eternal life and eternal hope. I don't want to see you reject that. I don't want to see you reject the gift of salvation. I don't want to see you reject the Messiah who is worthy of your life. And it truly breaks my heart to see dozens, maybe hundreds of people reject Jesus. And I do not share this to, to, to guilt trip you or, 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 any, or make you feel bad or any of that. But I share this with you, mostly to the Christian I share this with you. To show you that the pain is real. That unbelief is sad. Because you care for these people so much. Christian, when you share the gospel with someone and they reject Jesus, it's going to hurt. You should feel hurt. Not because your pride is hurt, but because your Jesus is hurt. Because he's rejected and because you hurt for them. You hurt for them because you know that they need Jesus. And so your heart aches that they reject life himself. The gospel will be rejected. It will be. But do not be tempted to change the message of the gospel so that it is more easily accepted. Do not fall that temptation. We must always be true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot take a, a, a business approach to it with the gospel and say, well, people aren't accepting it, so maybe we need to change it up. We need to change it so that more people are accepting of it. Unfortunately, many churches, especially in America, do that today. And they seek to make the gospel more palatable, more, more acceptable, so they can fill more seats. We do not change the message of the gospel for the sake of soft ears. Do not apologize for the gospel. Do not think that the gospel needs to be altered or changed in some way to be accepted by today's consumer. The gospel is sufficient to save, and God will use it as he sovereignly wills. Amen. We must always be true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christian, know that the gospel will be rejected. And you may be rejected too. Do not be surprised. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful to your calling of living out and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, despite how it will be accepted or not. If you are faithful in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will face rejection. And you will experience the sorrow of seeing others reject Christ. But Christian, remember... You are not responsible for their response of the gospel. God alone is responsible for that. You are responsible for obeying Jesus and bringing the gospel to others. So be faithful in that. And while at times it can be very discouraging, 
Know that your labor is not in vain. Know that your labor is not in vain. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It may seem in vain at times. It may seem like, why do I keep sharing the gospel with them? They keep rejecting it. And I've tried so many times. And I've tried in so many ways. And they keep rejecting and rejecting it. Like, what's the point? It's not in vain, he says. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abound in the work of the Lord. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, non-Christian, I call you to stop rejecting the gospel. Stop rejecting the gospel and believe in him today. I don't know the, the exact numbers, but I bet there are billions of people in the world who have never heard the gospel. You are not one of them. You are not one of those people. You have heard it. It has been made clear to you. It has been presented to you time and time again. Do not continue to harden your heart against the Lord and continue to reject him. But turn from your sin. As it says in verse 13, call upon the name of the Lord. Cry out to God that he would show mercy to you and that he would save you. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and follow him. I pray that God would do a miracle in your soul. I pray that for you often. So we see the proclamation of the gospel. Our second main point is the invitation of the gospel. Verses 18 through 21, the invitation of the gospel. Two subpoints for this. The first is that God has clearly revealed himself in the gospel. God has clearly revealed himself in the gospel, verses 18, and 20, 18 through 20. Now, let's remember the context of this passage. Remember where we are right now in Romans. Remember chapters 9 through 11 is really one section. I have to chunk here. We find ourselves right in the middle here. All right, so overall in chapters 9 through 11, Paul is dealing with the unbelief of Israel. And if you recall, in chapter 9, he largely showed the divine side of that, right? How it was God's sovereign will that Israel would reject the Messiah. That was the sovereign side of it. But then in chapter 10, he largely is dealing with the human side of it, saying that Israel is responsible for their own rejection of Jesus. And there were those who were seeking to blame God for Israel's unbelief and were making excuses, saying, one, that, that Israel didn't hear the message of salvation. And then, two, if they did hear, they didn't understand it. And Paul rebuttals both right here of these accusations, of these excuses. He's like, no, 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 guys. Let me show you. First off, Paul says, they did hear the message of salvation. And he, he does that by quoting Psalm 19. If you look at verse 18 of Romans 10, he says, but I ask, have they not heard? He's talking about Israel. Has Israel not heard? He says, indeed they have. And then he quotes Psalm 19. He says, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now, I think the reason he quotes Psalm 19 is because this psalm shows how God has revealed himself through general revelation and through special revelation. And Psalm 19.1 starts with that. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. General revelation. And then 19.8 says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Special revelation. And what he's saying is this. Israel has no excuse. God has revealed himself to them through general revelation. And he even made that clear in Romans chapter 1. And he's revealed himself through special revelation, as he's made clear here in chapter 10. 
that the message of salvation, the word of God, who God is, have all been revealed to them already. So they are without excuse, he says. And secondly, he says, not only did they hear the message of salvation, but Paul says they also understood the message of salvation. Israel's rejection was not because of a lack of truth. It's not that they didn't know the truth or they didn't understand the truth. And so he quotes both Moses and Isaiah to make that clear. Look what he says in 19. He says, but I ask, did Israel not understand? Like here it is showed. Did Israel not hear? No, they did. Psalm 19. Okay, well then, did Israel not understand? It says, first, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. See, they knew that Gentiles who believed in the Messiah would be saved. They understood that. It's not that Israel did not fully understand the message of salvation. They did. That's why they were so upset. That's why they had such a strong emotional reaction to Paul and to the Gentiles. They well knew that the Gentiles, these these non-people, would now become God's people. They knew that. They well knew that the Gentiles now have the same rights as God's chosen people. So this made them jealous. This made them angry, as he says in verse 19. I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, the Gentiles. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Right? So yes, this is what's happening. That's what happened. They're jealous. They're angry. And they knew that those who did not seek God, the Gentiles, would be found by God. Verse 20. I have been found by those who did not seek me. The Gentiles did not seek God. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. The Gentiles did not ask for God. See, so they knew. In fact, if the Jews did not understand the gospel, then they would have no reason to be upset. Right? In, in, in their minds, if they didn't understand the gospel, it's now open to the Gentiles. If they didn't know that, in their minds, they would think, well, great. Then the Gentiles are just believing some false religion. Let them, let them fall in their foolishness. I'm fine with that. But no, they understood that the Gentiles are now part of God's people. And this made them upset. Paul is saying this proves that they rightfully, that Israel rightfully understands the message of salvation. It was not a matter of a lack of understanding. It was a matter of rejecting the truth of the message of salvation. They heard the truth of the gospel. They understood the truth of the gospel. And they rejected it. While God was sovereign over this rejection, they were also responsible for this rejection. They are without Excuse. Non-Christian. Have you made excuses for your rejection of the gospel? If you're not a Christian, have you made excuses for your rejection of the gospel? The message of salvation has been revealed to you. You have heard. You have understood. But do you still reject the gospel? Do you still reject Jesus Christ? In doing so, you are rejecting grace. That's ultimately what Israel was rejecting. The grace of God. Grace rejects any man-made effort. Because grace says that you do not bring any works. You do not bring any accomplishments. You do not bring any advantages to your salvation. Grace accepts the nobodies. Except the non-people. Grace says, come as you are. Sinful. Wretched. Come to Christ and be his people. Grace is the very core of the gospel. It says that salvation is a gift that is given by God and accepted by man. Have you rejected the grace of Jesus Christ? Non-Christian, I do not think your problem is that you have not heard the gospel. I do not think your problem is that you do not understand the gospel. I think your problem is that you have rejected the grace of God. That you have rejected Jesus Christ. But come and receive God's sweet, amazing grace. And lastly, what connects right to that is our last point, that God is a patient God. Verse 21. God is a patient God. 
I want you to look at the contrast between God and Israel in verse 21, our last verse here. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Israel is a disobedient and contrary people. In contrast, all day long God has held out his hands to them. See that difference? What great contrast. We see God's love and patience despite their disobedience and rejection. Some of you are similar to Israel in that you are disobedient and contrary to God. The word contrary, I I think, is better translated as obstinate. There's a better translation of this word, obstinate. How many of you guys have been part of the Pilgrim's Progress Sunday School class? How many of you guys remember the character obstinate? Who can tell me about obstinate? Every every hand goes down. (laughs) Go ahead, MJ. Uh, Like, stubborn, stuck in his ways. Yeah, right? Obstinate. He was stubborn. He was stuck in his ways, right? He's like, no, he's just rejecting it. That's to be obstinate. And and that's the word that's being used here. He's saying they're disobedient and they're obstinate. And some of you are disobedient and obstinate to the Lord. You know the truth. You've heard the truth. But in your disobedience and in your stubbornness, you reject the truth. You continue time and time again to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, and yet, God's hand is still stretched out to you. Do you hear that? You continue to reject him. You continue in your disobedience. You continue in your stubbornness. Time and time again, the gospel is presented to you. And time and time again, you reject him. And yet, God's hand is stretched out to you. His loving hand is open to you. He says, all day long, I have stretched out my hand. All day long. Have you ever tried just holding your arms out as long as you can? Maybe you go a few minutes. Maybe an hour. I doubt it. I'll give you five bucks with no help. You keep it at 90 degrees. No way. Take me up on it. Please. That's five dollars well spent. Point is, not long, but all day long, God stretches out his hands. This is a picture of God's continual patience for the lost. Maybe you've rejected God over and over again. His hand is still stretched out for you. Still. Today, you can accept the gift of salvation and be saved. The day of grace has not ended. Today is still the day of salvation. Will it be for you, non-Christian? Is today the day of salvation for you? Will you put away your disobedience and put away your stubbornness? And will you accept the hand of God and be saved? Today. Do you see the hands that are outstretched for you? They are hands of compassion, like that of a loving father for a child. They are hands that welcome you in. They are hands that are loving. They are hands that will hold you secure for all of eternity. They are hands of sacrifice. They are hands that, as you see, his scars of the nails... That held him on that cross. There are hands that paid the penalty on your behalf. There are hands that took your punishment in your place. And there are hands that prove his love for you. These hands are still outstretched for you. God is a patient God. God's patience has been great to you. 
His patience has been great to you. Many of you have grown up in a Christian home. Many of you have sat through Sunday school for years. Many of you have been taught the gospel from a very young age. God's hand of grace has been outstretched to you for years, despite the fact that you are disobedient and obstinate. Non-Christian, you are continually rejecting the gospel and are storing up judgment for yourself. You are without excuse. The day will come when the day of grace has ended. That day will come. You will face final judgment and it will be too late. The loving hands of God are also hands of judgment. You will have rejected his loving hands and you will then be under his hand of judgment. As it says in Hebrews 10.31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The day will come when his patience is no more. And it will be too late. And you will be judged according to your sin. Today is not that day. Today is not that day. Do not wait for that day to come. Do not waste any more time. Come to Jesus and be saved. He is patient. He has been patient. And receive his patience, not as an excuse, but receive his patience as a gift. And come to him and be saved. I go back to the question I asked at the beginning. How do you handle the gospel? How do you handle the gospel? What are you going to do with the gospel? The gospel being what? The good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that even though you sin against a holy and just God, the creator of the universe, even though you deserve judgment and condemnation and the eternal wrath of God because of your sin and your rebellion against him, even though that, you have life and you have forgiveness of sin through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because he took the punishment on your behalf and he gave you his righteousness. The good news that salvation is a free gift given to you by God. If you place your faith in him, if you confess your sins, you will be forgiven of your sins. What do you do with that good news? What do you do with the gospel? You have heard the gospel. And yet some of you will take the gospel and you will continue to reject it. You will leave it on that desk. You will crumble up in the bottom of your bag. You will throw it in the trash. You will reject it. And you will continue to reject Jesus Christ. And to you, I urge you, I beg you, stop rejecting Jesus. You need him. Why are you rejecting what you desperately need? Why are you rejecting the one who is is most beautiful, most glorious, most worthy of your life? Turn from your rejection of Jesus and turn to him in faith and repentance. Call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. And for others, you have accepted this gospel. You have called upon the name of the Lord and you are saved. And so to you I ask, what are you now doing with the gospel? How do you handle it? How are you handling the gospel? What are you doing with the gospel? One, are are you refreshing yourself with the gospel daily? Are you reminding yourself of the amazing grace of God? Are you being motivated by his love and are seeking to love others in the same way? Or have you moved on from the gospel as if it no longer applies to you? Secondly, Christian, are you sharing this gospel? Are you sharing this gospel? Do you you understand that the responsibility to share the gospel with with, with, with others? Do you understand the power and the weight of this responsibility? Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For what? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 
Do not be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. And if you are a Christian, you have experienced this. And you are to share this with others. As the late Ben Parker once said, with great power comes great responsibility. I try to say that with a straight face, sorry. (laughs) But in all seriousness, there is great power in the gospel. And Christian, you have great privilege and responsibility with that power to share the gospel with others. Do you take that seriously? What are you doing with the gospel? How are you handling the gospel? That power. Not in your power. It's not your power. It's his power. But he's blessed you with that responsibility to share it. To share the gospel with others. The gospel is the most important message in the entire universe. If you are not a Christian, there is nothing that you need more than this. Nothing you need more than the gospel. And if you are a Christian, there's nothing better that you can share with someone than the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the treasure of the universe. To him be all glory and praise. Let's pray. Lord God, (coughs) thank you for your gospel. God, thank you for the gift of salvation we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would share your gospel. I pray that we would be bold to proclaim your word. God, give us opportunity. Give us courage. Give us wisdom. Give us the words to say. Lord, even if it's simply that I was blind and now I see. Lord, use us for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom. God, give us a heart for the lost. Lord, I pray for those who continue to reject you. I pray by your grace you would grant them faith to believe and a heart of repentance. God, that you would save them. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be convicting us. As we discuss these things, your spirit would continue to work. Show us your glory. Lord, that we'd be worshipful in what we say and what we do. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.